This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Classic congenital adrenal hyperplasia, or CAH, is a potentially life-threatening rare genetic disorder characterized by an inability to produce the stress hormone cortisol while causing excess production of androgens or male sex hormones. The condition has long been treated with steroids, but about 70% of patients with the condition have poorly controlled disease. The problem is that it's difficult to give someone with CAH enough steroids to control the androgens without causing problems such as weight gain, increased blood sugar, and high cholesterol. As a result, doctors often underdose patients. Spruce Biosciences is developing an experimental therapy called tildesafront, a non-steroidal therapy that binds to a receptor on the pituitary glands to limit the production of adrenal androgens and address that aspect of the disease. We spoke to Richard King, CEO of Spruce Biosciences, about CAH, how Tildosafont works, and what the company is doing to build a pipeline of other rare endocrine therapies behind it. Richard, thanks for joining us. Danny, great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about Spruce Biosciences, a rare, life-threatening endocrine condition known as congenital adrenal hyperplasia, or CAH, and Spruce's efforts to develop the first novel therapy for the condition in nearly 50 years. Let's start with CAH. For listeners not familiar with the condition, what is it and how does it manifest itself and progress? Great question. So uh, first and foremost, it is a rare condition. Uh, affects about 30,000 people in the United States, about 50,000 in Europe. Uh, and so it is a relatively large rare disease. And the underlying issue for these patients with congenital adrenal hyperplasia is that they cannot make cortisol, which is a key stress hormone required for life. Uh, they also have a, a, an excess production of male sex hormones or androgens. And uh, most of them can also not make uh, a key, um, uh, another key steroid called aldosterone. Um, how does it manifest itself? Well, um, this is one of those diseases that's diagnosed at birth. It's genetic, as you mentioned. And so uh, patients, uh, new, newborns, uh, every state in the country and indeed most countries around the world now, have a standard test, which is a foot prick test uh, for newborn babies. And one of the evaluations they undertake is for this, this condition of congenital adrenal hyperplasia. And if it's found, these patients immediately started on 
uh, glucocorticoid steroid therapy, and they'll be on that therapy for life. And that's really the only treatment option that they have at the moment. And, and what is the steroids actually doing to someone with the condition? First and foremost, what they're doing is replacing the missing cortisol, which is the underlying core condition. Um, and interestingly, to require – steroids have been around for about 50 years. So before steroids were available, um, these uh, poor patients would uh, uh, be born. Uh, they wouldn't know they had uh, congenital renal hyperplasia. And at some stage in their first couple of years of life, they would face an infection or some other stressor on the body. And one of the first agents to react to that uh, stress situation is cortisol. So they would try and react. Uh, they found they couldn't react, and they would go into what is called an adrenal crisis. And that could oftentimes lead to death. So the advent of glucocorticoids basically allowed um, physicians to give patients medication that would replace this missing agent cortisol. Hydrocortisone, which is one of the glucocorticoids, is effectively a synthetic form of cortisol. So that's great. And that really does uh, uh, obviously keep uh, these, uh, these uh, uh, folks alive. The challenge is there's a secondary feature set, which is uh, this overproduction of androgens or male sex hormones. And that causes a variety of issues for these patients. We can talk about that in some more detail. But uh, so the, the glucocorticoid not only can replace the missing cortisol, but if you increase the dose higher, you can also suppress this overproduction of uh, these androgens. The challenge there is that you've cured one problem, which is androgen excess, but you've given the patient a second issue, which is now glucocorticoid steroid excess, and that has its own challenges and problems. Well, let's take each of those. What are the problems of using high-dose steroids over a prolonged period of time? Okay, so um, let me describe for you first actually the androgen problem. So this is the underlying condition. If they don't uh, control androgens, they have these issues. So if you're a child born with congenital adrenal hyperplasia and you have all these excess androgens swirling around your body, uh, the first thing that will tend to happen is you'll be driven into puberty very early, often as early as five, six, seven years of age. And because you enter puberty early, your bones will fuse earlier than they should do, and you'll end up potentially being quite short as an adult. Uh, then as you continue to grow, uh, androgens cause a variety of issues for you. They make you hairier. You, you have excess body hair growth. Uh, they also make, give you classic male pattern baldness uh, and also acne and a variety of other kind of dermatological conditions. And then as you reach adulthood, uh, each uh, of the two sexes, males and females, have different fertility issues. So in the case of males, this androgenic cascade can cause what are called testicular adrenal rest tumors or TARTs. And these are benign tumors, but they grow in the testes in size, firstly to cause pain, but then secondly also to impair sperm production and hence render the male infertile. In the case of women, these high androgens cause disruption of their menstrual cycle, if not a complete absence of their menstrual cycle, to render uh, the females infertile as well. So that's why many physicians will use higher doses of these glucocorticoids to try and suppress the androgens. But then what you end up with is the classic uh, steroid-related issues, such as um, obesity is one of the first things that's noticeable. And that obesity can turn into insulin resistance and other metabolic diseases, also cardiovascular diseases like uh, uh, um, elevated blood pressure. Um, and then also osteoporosis is a common uh, challenge associated with uh, these higher dose of steroids. So these are the two challenges and the two choices that at the moment these patients face and that we're trying to uh, engineer a solution uh, to resolve. What's it like to live with this condition and, and what's the prognosis for someone who has it? 
So the prognosis um, since the advent of glucocorticoids, obviously now these patients are living into later life. Um, but uh, if you're taking a lot of glucocorticoids to suppress the androgens, then you, you worry about those longer-term consequences of um, um, uh, metabolic effects and cardiovascular disease and osteoporosis. And uh, in the short run, obviously, you've got these other issues such as um, um, fertility issues and so on to, to try and address, which are, are challenges. And as a young, chick, young kid, you've got this worry about reaching full adult height. And that's why at the same time trying to avoid this, this issue of adrenal crisis. So there's a number of events that occur throughout the course of life which are challenging and which require um, uh, thoughtful approaches to disease management at each of the stages of, of life. Well, can you expand on that? What do you mean? Well, I mean, um, when you are a child, um, obviously the, the way in which physicians manage this disease today is to try and use a lot of glucocorticoids to suppress the androgens that are, are present. But of course, uh, those glucocorticoids are causing obesity and other challenges um, um, during the course of, of childhood. As you get to um, your kind of teen years and into uh, the, the early 20s, you're not so worried about fertility at that stage, but you are worried about complexion and, and excess hair growth and so on. So then, um, uh, again, you worry about excess androgens, and so steroids are, are kind of a part of the, the, the picture at that stage. Um, uh, again, as you go into kind of your fertile years, you've got these other challenges that you face. But all the time you're adding that steroid to try and control those different stages, you're also storing up for a lot of later life problems in terms of obesity and, uh, and, and these other diseases. And so you know, what we're trying to do here is offer a different way, a non-steroidal way to control those androgens. So you get the androgens under control with a non-steroidal therapy, and that should allow a continual low-level of the steroid, which you need to prevent adrenal crisis, but you don't need to control all the androgen issues because those are being controlled by our drug, uh, Tordesfont. Well, well let's talk about your experimental non-steroidal therapy. Hmm. This is Tildasafront. What is Tildasafront and, and how does it work? So Tildasafront is uh, what's called a CRF1 receptor blocker. CRF stands for cortotropin-releasing factor. And this is a, a, a substance which is produced in the middle of the brain in the hypothalamus and ultimately starts the cascade of events that leads to either production of cortisol in, in healthy normal people uh, or the production of androgens in these patients with congenital adrenal hyperplasia. So we're trying to block the actions of that uh, initial hormone on the pituitary gland, which is where you uh, get conversion from uh, CR, CRH into or CRF into uh, a different hormone called adrenocorticotropic hormone, which actually starts this whole cascade leading to these two events. And by controlling it there, and, and uh, not using the steroid to control it, um, we think that we can uh, provide an alternative and hopefully a better therapy than pure steroids for these patients. This was part of a portfolio of drugs that Spruce licensed from Lilly. What was it originally being developed for and, and how did Spruce come to see its potential as a therapy for CAH? Great question. So if you go back to the early 2000s, these drugs, these CRF1 receptor antagonists, were being developed by lots of different pharmaceutical companies for potential treatments for anxiety and depression. Um, and uh, so uh, they didn't pan out there ultimately. But uh, our founder, who was doing her PhD thesis on these uh, agents, 
uh, did think that uh, congenital adrenal hyperplasia could be a very good target for a disease for, for these drugs. And she also thought that Lily's compound, which we now call tildasafont, uh, which was a second generation compound, it was, the first ones were very lipophilic and were challenging to use, but the second generation had solved that to, to, to a large extent. And so she thought that uh, Lily's compound was very attractive. And so began a discussion with Lily that ultimately resulted in uh, spruce uh, uh, capturing the asset in, in 2016. Is there a, a relationship with Lily going forward? Only in the sense of, of we owe them a small uh, royalty and a couple of milestones. But uh, other than that, no, uh, we have full control over the development of Tildesafon. You recently published phase two data results from Tildesafon. What's known about its safety and efficacy at this time? So um, what we showed in our phase two studies was uh, a number of things. First was over a period of 12 weeks of uh, continual exposure to Tildesafont, these uh, um, patients were able to reduce their very, very high levels of androgens down from five, ten times the upper limit of normal. That's the extent to which their androgens are elevated, massively elevated. And we're able to bring them down into the normal range or close to the normal range in, in some patients, but certainly normal range for the majority of patients. And that was particularly exciting. It's the first time that a non-steroidal therapy has been able to show uh, the ability to control these androgens without using uh, a glucocorticoid. The second thing we showed from a, a safety standpoint was that the, the drugs was, uh, or this drug telesmone was very well tolerated, um, uh, um, very good tolerability over the course of uh, 12 weeks, no serious adverse events, uh, and, and sort of your fairly typical events of some, uh, some headache um, and, and so on that you see in, in, in the majority of clinical studies. So we're very pleased with the the, the tolerability profile for the program. And what's the regulatory path forward? So we're currently in the process of doing uh, what are technically phase 2B studies. Um, um, and uh, these are late stage studies, um, but uh, they, they correspond to the FDA's phase 2B uh, stage. Um, uh, there's two of them ongoing. The first study is looking at the ability to control androgens, um, these, these elevated male sex hormones, in patients who have what we call poor disease control. That's inability to control androgens on their own. Uh, and the second study is looking at uh, patients who have what we call good disease control, where they have control of androgens, but they're using a huge amount of the steroid to be able to get that control. And we're looking at the ability to retain control of androgens while we reduce the steroid. So if those two turn out as we hope, uh, then we would uh, hope to be able to take the data from these two studies, uh, take them to uh, the regulators both in Europe and the US, and uh, to... Uh, um, find a pathway forward that will allow these two studies to be registrational uh, for this program in CH. What's the commercial strategy and at what point do you start building a commercial organization? Well, we've already begun to a certain extent because we're obviously evaluating the marketplace as we go. Um, but um, um, we do see for us from a commercial standpoint, the ability to build a um, commercial organization both in the US and in Europe. We look for partners outside of those geographies, so in Asia, Africa, Australia, etc. But um, building that capability ourselves with a view to hopefully seeing these products to market sometime around 2024-2025. And you're looking at potential indications beyond CAH. What else are you looking at? 
Well, firstly, later this year, we are starting a, a program in, in children with CH. Our initial program, that two-study program I described for you, is in adults with CH. But we are also starting uh, a study in, in children with CH. We want to be able to give children um, down to the age of two alternatives to the glucocorticoids that they use today, just the same as, as we want uh, to, to give uh, the adults with disease. So that's first on the list. But secondly, we're also interested in treating other diseases where there is um, implication for either adrenal androgens, androgens which come from the adrenal glands, or sensitivity to adrenal corticotropic hormone, which is one of those key uh, cascading hormones I talked to you about. One of the diseases we focused on in that regard is polycystic ovary syndrome. So there's a subset of women with polycystic ovary syndrome whose source of elevated androgen, which is the underlying condition, for these women is from the adrenal glands. And it's due to a hypersensitivity to this ACTH hormone. And so we are starting a proof of concept study in, in these women later this year. Um, and again, hope to bring uh, some therapeutic alternatives to women with PPOS. How about the plan for building a pipeline beyond Tildisafant? Do you expect to continue to focus on endocrine orders or are you gonna look at other rare diseases? So we think that there's a lot of uh, rare endocrine diseases that would benefit from additional therapeutic options to the existing therapies that are available. Um, and so our focus is, is very much on these endocrine rare disorders. Uh, we would, over the course of time, like to leverage the organizational capability that we've built in developing these agents, understanding endocrine disorders, uh, and bringing forward uh, uh, drugs that we think will be useful for patients with these conditions. So yes, we would fully expect to add to the portfolio over time and to build uh, a company which is focused on both developing and commercializing uh, uh, for patients with rare endocrine disease. And in that context, would you expect to do that through other licensing deals? I think that's the most likely scenario for us at the moment. Uh, we, we don't have an internal research capability, uh, but we do have an internal development capability. So we'd like to leverage that piece and, yes, bring in assets which are newly discovered or, or, or programs that hold promise for patients with rare endocrine disease. You completed an IPO in late 2020. How far will that funding take you? So a good way, actually, um, uh, the funding takes us through the uh, all the programs that I described for you. So the adult uh, CH program, the two uh, uh, adult studies which are ongoing and in the clinic right now, the pediatric study, which is uh, currently uh, in, on the uh, starting blocks and going later this year, and also the polycystic ovary syndrome program, which uh, I, I mentioned to you as well. So all three of those programs, the data from those studies that, that will be initiated in 21 will be fully funded by available funds. Uh, and then um, uh, we would look to additional funds to commercialize Tildasafont uh, for adult CAH and finish the development of, uh, uh, of Tildasafont for these other indications I've mentioned uh, post that initial data set. Richard King, CEO of Spruce Biosciences. Richard, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. 
You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>